Hey y'all, this is Vera Payam, and you're tuned into the KW1S podcast. This is episode two, and I'm going to be talking about feminism. I thought this was a pretty timely topic since International Women's Day was just a couple days ago. Hey! <laughs> uh, and I get asked this question a lot, actually, by my fans. Am I a feminist? Uh, as we heard from episode one, my fantasies are all pretty degrading to women. Obviously, I'm a sex worker, and my chatterbait shows are also pretty, pretty degrading. So it's a fair question. Am I a feminist? Usually, I would give my stock response, of course I am. You know, I support equal rights, equal pay, women's right to choose, you know, all that stuff. And my opinion was informed by my sociology background. As a sociology major, I studied a wide variety of systemic human rights issues, but I didn't really get to dive as deeply into some as I would have liked. I specifically remembered there were also some key readings that I'd breezed over, but I really wanted to come back to. One of those, one of those issues I didn't get to dive deeply into was feminism. And one of those books that I didn't, that I went back to read was Feminism is for Everybody by Bell Hooks. So as I started researching, I thought, well, I should research before I do this episode, right? So I went back and I started browsing through this book and I realized very quickly that this episode was not going to be as simple as I thought. So before I give you my, my final answer on uh, whether or not I'm a feminist, I'll give you a little bit of background and history on feminism and what it is. So contrary to what a lot of people believe, Feminism didn't really start in the 1920s with the right to vote. That was the suffrage movement. It was issue-based, policy-based, predominantly for white women. And also, once the right to vote was achieved, the movement was over. Feminism was born around the 1960s. During this time, we had women fighting for all kinds of radical causes. We had civil rights, we had black women fighting for black liberation, we had white women fighting for socialism, uh, native women fighting for indigenous rights. All of these groups were out there protesting, getting attacked by police dogs, sprayed by water cannons. Men and women were standing shoulder to shoulder and putting their lives on the line to fight against oppression and injustice. Then, after their demonstrations were over and you know, these groups would come back and, and they'd regroup and plan for the next resistance. All the men would sit around the table and they would turn to the women and they'd say, hey, why don't you go make us a cup of coffee, sweetheart? Can you imagine how degrading that would be? You just put your life on the line, shoulder to shoulder with someone who knows firsthand the pains of oppression and then to have them turn around and do that right back to you? <laughs> now you also got to imagine that these were not the kinds of women that were going to put up with that shit. These were some radical ass women fighting for radical ass causes. And they were tired of oppression as a whole. They were done. That's why when, they, when feminism was created, it was defined as the movement to end sexism, sexist exploitation, and oppression. Now there are two things that really struck me about that definition. The first is that you can't oppress and be a feminist. You just can't. 
doesn't matter, man, woman, child, religion, sexuality, whatever. You can't, you just can't do it. Can't oppress. The second was that if your brand of feminism is empowering women at the cost of tearing down other women or marginalized groups, then it's not feminism. Why? Because you can't fucking oppress people. That's it. And so, I shit you not, I was sitting there at like 1 a.m. on International Women's Day reading Feminism is for Everyone, and I'm like, fuck. I'm a sexist. I'm a sexist. I'm guilty of being complicit in treating and valuing other women as less than. And immediately, I thought about a conversation I actually just had with a coworker like a month or two beforehand. Um, at the time, my housemate was considering moving out. And so I was rolling around the idea of getting another, another housemate. And so a friend of mine, a coworker, she, she mentions, oh yeah, you know, like I need a place. Like, I, you know, I'd be down to be your housemate. And I was like, well, I go, uh, whoever moves in is going to have to be somebody who knows how to do like a lot of work around the house because I don't really know anything about maintaining a house. Like, you know, my housemate right now, he does a lot of the gardening. He does all the yard work. He does all the maintenance around the house. We have an oil heater and it has to be filled with diesel like, you know, like once or twice a month. Um, I was like, it had to be somebody who could do all those things. And she was like, well, I could do that. And without even thinking, I, I just go, uh, I was like, yeah, but I'd rather still have a guy. And she kind of looked at me, but then we just changed the subject and, you know, called it over. But I, I started thinking about that and I was like, oh my God, like that was so sexist of me. Like, how could I say that to her? Like, that's my friend. Like, why would I say that to her? Like, why, and why wouldn't I think that a woman was capable of doing all of those things? Why would I just jump to that conclusion? Like, where did these bad ideas come from? And I was like, well, I don't know where these bad ideas came from. You know, it came from my family, came from growing up with my dad, came from society. They were reinforced by school, by my friends, by the media, all of that. These aren't my ideas, but they were reinforced by everything around me. And... But for me, it was, it was really shocking, though, to acknowledge that I had sexist views and that I was thinking and acting prejudicially. And my first instinct was, I'm being a sexist and I don't like it. So I was, mm -mm, this, this needs to change. This needs to change. So I called up a few of my friends, right? And was like, oh my God, I'm fucking sexist, right? Like, um, and to my surprise, actually, all my friends, they kind of they kind of came to my defense, you know? They tried to, like, justify my actions, reminded me that these weren't my ideas, it wasn't my fault, you know? Like, they didn't want me to be hard on myself, you know? They, you know and, and I appreciate that, you know? I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, but for me, it wasn't about feeling shame, feeling bad about myself, I mean, understanding this doesn't make me like a bad person, but it's true. I was, I was being sexist. Um, and I need, and for me, I need to acknowledge that for my own personal integrity. Uh, I mean, I did feel guilty, you know, when I thought about all of the ways in which 
I'd been complicit in a system of patriarchy. But there's a difference between systemic and individual sexism. It's not like I believe women are inferior to men or anything like that, but a lot of the sexist decisions that I've made have been out of a desire to protect myself from further oppression. I learned that when I behave in certain ways or when I do certain things or I present in certain ways that I get privileges that I wouldn't otherwise have. I get treated better. I get access to spaces I wouldn't normally be accepted into. I don't have to pay for my own food or drinks. <laughs> um, some of my fans have actually asked me if I'm bisexual, how come I don't date women? And usually I would just, oh, you know, I'm not really attracted to women like that, you know, the kind of personal preference answer, right? But if I'm being honest, I know for a fact one of the reasons that I don't date women is that I get privileges dating men that I don't get when I date women. I remember when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend. Um, yeah, she started with my friend and I just, I liked her a lot. I liked her so much, you know. Um, she was just, she was so loving and, but at the same time so fierce and so loyal and, and she had these big boobs and I just, I just loved her. I just, I, I, <laughs> I just, I loved her, right? And so, um, and so we would hold hands, we'd sit, we'd giggle, and we'd flirt with each other. And as soon as we decided that, you know, we were like girlfriends, you know, we were dating, um, everything changed. Places that I'd never had problems in before, all of a sudden turned really dark and unwelcoming. Um, people would, would give us dirty looks when we'd walk into stores. They would shout things at us. They would say dykes, fucking lesbians. Like people driving down the street would yell at us out of their cars. Like grown men would accost us and say these horrible things to us. We were 15 years old. We were in high school. To have grown men like yelling at us, like saying these derogatory things. I just, any, any LGBT folks who are listening know all too well what I'm talking about. And being relatively working class, a woman of color with, with, a mom who was basically an absent drug addict, I just, I already knew that my life was gonna be, was not gonna be easy. I knew I was gonna have to work twice as hard for half as much, but to also have to endure harassment just for loving someone was, it was too much. It was just too much. That was more, that was more than I could, I could deal with. Um, and I, I just couldn't deal with that kind of harassment on top of everything else that I knew I was gonna have to do. And so it wasn't really a conscious decision. I just, so I ended up breaking up with her and I never really dated women after that. Um, it, I didn't, it wasn't like I consciously didn't date women. It just, you know, it just never, it just never happened. Um, now, even being able to make that decision to date men over women is a privilege. It's, something that most people in the LGBTQ community, it's a luxury that they do not have. Um, so it's complicated being simultaneously oppressed and yet privileged within that group. Uh, I'm neither proud nor ashamed of it. I just, it just is. But I think what's important to understand is that there are two kinds of sexism, institutionalized and individual. My sexism is institutionalized. 
It's a response to the system that I was navigating. I was colluding with the patriarchy in order to avoid further oppression. And it's understandable and doesn't make me a bad person, you know, but if I want to call myself a feminist, I have to think about my own unconscious prejudices that I have toward women and the ways in which I'm complicit in perpetuating sexism and patriarchy. It's called acting with integrity. Being ethical isn't always about being good or doing the right thing or having like the best ideas. It's about constantly assessing and holding oneself accountable. It's also about being able to listen, to learn, and to change. Values are not like ideas on a shelf that are like collecting dust somewhere. They're reinforced and perpetuated in every action and every judgment that we make. We live and act our values every day. So, million dollar question, am I a feminist? Absolutely. <laughs> but only as long as I remain conscious of and hold myself accountable to acting in accordance with feminist values. Also, if someone were to ask me why I'm a feminist, my answer would definitely be very different now. While I still, you know, I still uh, obviously believe in equal pay and, and all those legislative issues and things like that, now I would, I would say that really I'm a feminist because I'm against oppression in all forms. There really are no brands of feminism. You're either against oppression or you're not. <laughs> uh, and while I'm on this topic, I'm, I'm sure that there's probably, uh, you know, some, some clueless boy might be listening and thinking maybe somewhere in the back of his head. Um, so does, does this mean that I don't have to pay for your dinner on a date? <laughs> Stay tuned for my episode on privilege, where I will explain in great detail why my answer is still a resounding, hell nah. <laughs> um, but seriously though, um, if there is someone listening to this podcast who has just heard me pour out my heart and my pain and all of the pain and suffering that, that things like patriarchy has caused, um, and still only be thinking about who's going to pay for dinner, then you, my friend, might want to reconsider your relationship with women, power, and patriarchy. Some of you might also be thinking, well, this is fine and good and all, but how does this relate to sex and kink? <laughs> how does this not relate? We have to acknowledge our own prejudices and biases in order to have any kind of sexual interaction with other people. We, I mean, we could pretend that these things aren't there, you know, but realistically, they're going to continue to color and shape our interactions with other people. My sexism is going to continue to shape the way I interact with other women unless I consciously do something to change it. And this is also important because sex is inherently vulnerable. It's inherently vulnerable for everybody involved. And we, we trust that our partners aren't going to harm us or, or get weird with us in ways that we're not cool with. And we become especially vulnerable when playing with power and more extreme forms of kink. 
we all come with our own history and baggage, some good and some not so good, but we, that all comes with us. It, we all bring that to the table in our sexual interactions. Presently in the US, one in six women has survived at least one rape or attempted rape. And while it's not all men that, that do these things, all women have to deal with those consequences. Patriarchy, abuse, intimidation, these are real things in people's lives. And before we can play with these concepts and enjoy them as a kink, we need to know what it is that we're playing with. Given what I know now, would I consider dating more women in the future? How does that change my, how I respond in feminism? Honestly, I probably have a lot more questions and answers at this point. Uh, I, I still obviously have a lot of work to do distinguishing my personal desires and beliefs from the ones that I've institutionalized. But I do have, I do have one major takeaway, and that is to be more conscious of the ways in which I treat and assess other women. Obviously, I have to acknowledge that there's a problem in my pattern of thought and behavior before I can work to change it. But in between acknowledgement and change is heightened awareness. And as we slowly become more aware of these things, we're able to see them as they unfold. And if we can catch those moments, and we can separate our default mode of thought from what we really think and believe, then that's, that's where real change starts. Well, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for, thank you for tuning in. This has been episode two of KW1S. Stay tuned for episode three, where I'll be talking about uh, philosophy, ethics, human nature, and why this shit matters. <laughs> And as always, there's lots of ways to support the show. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, all of my social media. You can check out my wish list to help support the show. You can comment and dialogue with me and other people here on Patreon. I'd love to hear your ideas and what you think and your experiences on some of these topics. You can share KW1S with a friend. Hey! Or you can just keep listening. So thank you. And of course, I hope somebody has told you today, but if they haven't, you there listening to my podcast or watching my vlog. I don't know you, but I love you. You matter. Without you, I couldn't do this. I couldn't have this show. I couldn't have this podcast. I couldn't have this vlog. So thank you so much. I am glad that you're here and that you exist. My world is better because you're in it. So thank you so much. And I look forward to sharing more episodes with you.